You fight like a cow. How appropriate you fight like a dairy farmer. All this and more on This Week in Retro. High-resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Beige is back, baby. Doom casts a shadow. We're returning to Monkey Island. And retro horror. All this and more on This Week in Retro. Chris, I think I can guess where we're going with the pre-show chat. Judging by the picture that you've got behind you on the television, the box that you've got to your right-hand side, <laughs> you've got your A500 minis, so no delays in getting them to Australia. Well, well actually, funny enough, I'm having trouble scrolling through our notes this week, Neil, because um, I might actually be using this. <laughs> oh, you've got scroll. the tank mouse. I've yeah, got the how, tank how mouse as well, plugged in. Um, do you know what? I haven't plugged it into the A500 mini. It just went straight into my PC. Because that's why I bought it, which right. seems so stupid. But uh, I'm I'm actually getting used to just hunting for the scroll bar at the right hand side. How many applications now hide it? Like they minimize it. When did that? Oh, happen? I hate I that. I hate notice. that. Yeah, you've got to try and find the scroll bar and kind of expand it. And it's why? Yeah, why? It's so yeah. unintuitive. Um, but yeah, uh, and I've the... even tried bizarre things like holding both mouse buttons down to see if I can scroll like that. Of course, that's not a thing, <laughs> but I, I now want it to be a thing. Um, yeah, sorry, go on. I was going to say that YouTube is awash with reviews. You had the first wave of the pre-release units going to people, and now people like yourself have gone out into the shops to buy them. I think you even did a video of your trip to the shop, didn't you? Did I see that? Oh, maybe I included that. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about that. That was part of the experience for me. That was, I mean, that's literally, I, I pre-ordered it as soon as they were available um, from EB Games over here, um, which was fairly quick. They were fairly quick off the mark. I placed a pre-order, so that was like back in August last year um and uh, it was a small deposit but just the act of and i knew as soon as this thing was announced i knew i wanted to have the experience of walking into a brick and mortar shop and walking out with let's call it by its correct name an a500 um and and yeah it was everything i thought it would be um it seemed like a silly little thing but how was it in the shop was it stocked up did they have lots there was it did it seem popular the shop I went into, I think most were reserved for pre-orders. They had one actually behind the counter up on a glass case, so glass mm-hmm. case with other items in it, other items around it, and I just spotted this thing up there. So they're certainly on display. I didn't actually take time to walk around the, the shop itself because, yeah, we're a bit peaky over here, if you know what I mean, <laughs> with the event still actually just hitting Western Australia. So I sort of minimized my time in the shops. But um, whether they had a stand somewhere else, I don't know. I didn't notice one. But yeah, they mm. certainly had one on display behind the main counter. So yeah, awesome. it was just nice. You know, the, the, the girl went out the back, found my pre-order and just seeing her walk across the shop floor holding a box, this box, in fact, you know, that was destined for me. It was it was mine. Um, yeah, it was cool. Did it, Did it take you back? Did it take you back thirty years, Chris? <laughs> well, oddly, no, because I didn't buy mine for a shop. I went all the way to an ex to, to London to an expo, and we just oh, went from stand to stand to get the best bargain back in the day <laughs> to actually buy my original Amiga. But yeah, it was just cool to be able to buy anything um, A five hundred or you know, Amiga in inverted commas Amiga related. related from a yeah, shop. yeah. Well, this have, weekend, have you played with yours yet, Neil? No. So this weekend we had the cave's first kind of proper um, public day and it went phenomenally well. We had 60 people through the door, 30, which is, we can only have 30 at a time. So both sessions were were fully booked. Um, everyone went away 
uh, seemingly very happy. And during the day for both sessions, I bought out the A500 Mini because it was the day of public release. So most people hadn't seen it outside of a YouTube video. And first impressions were that they were really... Um, really impressed with the build quality of it and the, the attention to detail yeah. when you open it up and you see all the little keys are all nicely done the vents at the back of the a500 mini has actually got holes in it's a it's a really well-made little thing the only tiny thing that lets it down is the fact that it says a500 and not amiga on the top but obviously licensing issues have led to that so um yeah i think all credit to them but i still haven't plugged the thing in <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't plugged the thing <laughs> in and had to get I've been so busy. So I will get around yeah. to doing that. Um but nice. first impressions are good. First impressions yeah. on the mouse from everyone was actually that's noticeably smaller than the real thing in the hand. Uh whether that mm. translates to any problems using it, I doubt it. I think it's probably a fine size, but it is noticeably smaller. And um uh, they they mentioned that the buttons were clicky, which is mm. inauthentic to the original, but probably actually a good thing in terms of quality of use <laughs> yeah the original you know was a bit that, spongy wasn't it yeah and, and i've only just as soon as you said they're clicky i had i had to click them and think are they because it's not something i'd really noticed i think if we're playing with these things and looking for the for the differences then we'll find them but if you just plug it in and use it do you know what it, I, it didn't even yeah yeah there is a difference but i don't care about it um yeah. in terms of the size it's better <laughs> it's better neil than the original the original was a bit bulky if we're honest and this actually going down his size makes it a little bit more um ergonomic so yeah i like it awesome so it's Apart been an a500 a500 mini kind of a week in a way but i must plug mine in at some point and try it out but um, <laughs> it's been interesting to see such a big launch because it is a big launch for our retro community um yeah a lot of things these days are made to pre-order or in limited numbers and to see something so popular and so available is is quite nice so um long may that continue yeah. anyway enough enough guff chris should we get into this week's stories we shall i've just noticed going through the stories we picked um it's also easter neil and we neglected to do an easter story even though there was actually one gifted to us there was a perfectly good submission in the subreddit um so i'll just mention it and people can go and read it for themselves sure. so do check out um a submission by dave velociraptor called a windows one easter egg uh, managed to stay hidden for nearly 40 years um, it's definitely worth a look right let's get on with it so April, Chris, it's always a dangerous month for news stories. Um, you've got to be careful as to whether you get caught out or not. And there were an awful lot of April Fools going around uh, this year. And uh, one that came up earlier in the month is one that I really, really wish was true. I didn't want it to be an April Fool. I didn't want it so much to be an April Fool, but it was. And it was by PC hardware reseller Overclockers. A lot of people will be familiar with them. Do they serve you down in Australia, Overclockers? No, I've not heard of them myself. No, no I think no, they're both so. mostly UK. Um, right. And what they did, they put a fake advert out on social media for a brand new PC case. And this brand new PC case was beige. Beige PCs are back, they declared, as synthwave music and VHS video effects played over the top of this video. And they had 80s clothes on and all sorts. I think there was a, a shell suit jacket at one point appeared in the video. And, um, well, perhaps, because it's such a cheesy promo video, perhaps producer Duncan at this point can drop a little bit of the footage in. And if you're on the podcast, you'll be able to get, a, if you're on the audio in your podcast, you'll be able to get a sense of what this is all about just from the audio. So um, take it away, producer Dunk. 
introducing the perfect mix of 90s nostalgia and modern technology with the Overclockers Reboot range. A select number of products are being added to our wide range of computers and peripherals so you can enjoy the 90s aesthetic with the best of tech today. With the reboot range, you can enjoy the performance and reliability of modern hardware while vibing to the 90s beige aesthetic. And there you go. Um, are you like me? Do you wish that could be true now? I mean, I really, really want this. And of course, it was an yeah. April Fool's joke. Of course it was, but... I'm hurt, Chris. I feel like they've taken the joke too far. <laughs> it's not a joke to me. It's not a joke to me. Um, yeah, exactly. You, you can't tease something like this and not make it happen, right? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. When I saw this, I mean, obviously, yeah, it, that being that time of year, okay, this is an April Fool, but I just so wished it wasn't. Um, and, you know, the discussion I had was the fact that I think they're missing a trick, actually. If only they realized the potential audience. I don't think it's just the two of us, Neil. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I don't feel we got caught out by this because I, I did see it as an April Fool. But plus, sure. let's remind ourselves, if you fool somebody after 12, well, that's the rule I was always taught, then it's the person pulling the prank that's the fool for seven years. That's That was the rule in our house anyway. But anyway, but yeah, absolutely, I wish this was true. Um what we have to remember uh, also, though, is when beige PCs were everywhere, I remember the first time I was in a meeting in London um, and walked into this office, open plan office, and the floor was just full of these beautiful, brand new black Dells. And yeah. my goodness, they looked awesome. They just looked like such a simple change, just lifted everything and made it look so much nicer. So I do agree, Neil. I think if they produce something like this, if they produced a retro range, I honestly think that would sell. Um, but if we're honest, it wasn't the greatest design choice back in the day, the color beige. Well, you know, it's a trend, isn't it? It's a trend and beige was... Beige was computers were beige back then. It's you know I'm surrounded by beige computers just sat here. But you're right. There was this period when all of a sudden we moved on from beige, and um, we got black, we got silver, we got all manner of crazy colours. Of course, the iMac came along and blew everyone out the water mm. with their range of colours. And yeah, it, it it felt like progress, and it was progress. It gave people a chance to personalise and um, express themselves, as the marketers would say. Express yourself with the colour of your PC. Yeah. Uh, it's no substitute for personality, but we all liked to, to do it. Um, but now it's been so long since beige has been, you know, the staple of computers that actually it looks pretty good. And I don't think that's through retro tinted glasses that I obviously wear. I think it just looks nice because it looks different again. Um, and the example that they give, it does just look like a modern shaped PC case that just happens to be beige. And I would buy that in a heartbeat. Um, yeah. it's got no window on it. It's got no RGB lighting. You can't look through it and see your GPU flashing away. I've never, I've, I've never been a massive fan of having a window on the side of your PC case, to be honest, but I no, understand no. that people like to do that. And when you've spent 600 pounds on a GPU, maybe you want to look at it sometimes. That's fair enough. Or <laughs> you spent a lot of time with very careful cable management. Sure. Show it off. But, um, I'm happy with a, with a beige box and overclockers. I did put a tweet out yesterday and tagged them and said, look, I know this is an April fools, but I really want this. They haven't responded <laughs> yet, but it's got some likes, you know, we've got to get some momentum behind that. Go on to Twitter nice. at RMC retro, get on that tweet, like it. And let's, um, let's start a movement. People bring back beige PCs and let's make overclockers the ones to do it. <laughs> you know, um, 
I think there's a market there, though, as you said. I think you're right. And um, trends change. Tastes change. If tie-dye dungarees and flared jeans can come back, then why not beige PCs? Um, yeah. I'm obviously in no position to to say if those fashion choices have actually come back but i'm sure i've i'm sure i've seen some of that about you know um was it was it you the other day who said to me that the 60s to the 90s are like the 90s are to today i think it was you who said it on the podcast um oh was it no yeah. i don't remember saying oh i don't know i would so, someone bought it moving up. time someone window, bought it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah so um yeah you know I totally we are agree. we yeah. are we are talking about that kind of period now looking back to the 90s and beige pcs it's like us looking back to the 60s and saying that was cool and actually you know when, yeah. when it was the 90s and actually that's exactly what we did so um why not it's time it's time overclockers um and there's no impractical reason not to you know it would take up exactly the same amount of space it's just a matter of taste so bring on the beige i say um even better. Would you buy yourself a beige laptop, Chris? Would you go that far? I think that's where I draw the line. I'm just trying to think. I'm looking around me. Um, obviously, the Acon Electron's beige, the Amiga's beige, what, two Amiga's, three if you count the Mini. Um, there's a floppy drive there that's beige. There's two mice on the on the thing that here that are beige. But how far would I take this? If I had a beige PC tower, would I then want a beige keyboard and a beige mouse? And this is where I think it starts to get too much. Would I want a beige bezel on my flat screen? I'm not sure I would, Neil, well, if I'm being, it's if interesting I'm being honest. You should raise that because um, yeah. uh, Stephen Jones of, of Checkmate Case fame, uh, he was due this oh, week, yes. but um, I think he put his back out at an expo that he went to at the weekend, so we've deferred it for a week. Um, he's due to mm. come next week with his prototypes of modern um, their IPS screens, so really nice panels. Uh, mm. But they're made into a, a new case that he's made to kind of make them look like CRTs. So they've got depth yeah. and they've got a bezel. And quite how good they are, I don't know yet because I haven't got my hands on. So I'm going to spend some time, hopefully next week, just plugging them into every system I can. I'll make a video, obviously, and um, we'll see if this prototype has got legs, if we can offer Stephen any feedback to improve it or if he's nailed it or if it's a terrible idea. I don't know, but we'll, we'll find out. So you may well have an option very soon, not just to stick a bezel <laughs> on an existing screen, but to, to buy a, a beige screen. So mm. even more reason to need that case. But um, what? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, unfortunately it does not exist, but let's put the pressure on. If not overclockers, then who? Um, or maybe we just need to go and buy some cans of spray paint. Let's make beige happen. I, th I think we can do it ourselves, yeah. I think that's probably the cheapest <laughs> option. <laughs> What's the price tag going to be on a retro-coloured PC case? It's going to be up there. <laughs> um, Neil, do you have uh, an RTX card in your PC? Apparently, I do. I've got a 2800 GPU in my PC, Oof. but that is my video editing PC. That's what it's used for. That particular PC gets used very little for gaming because it's where I do my work. Um Apart from the occasional game of skid marks, of course, but I don't think the RTX really helps skid marks very much. <laughs> Why is that, Chris? Uh, well, I don't. Um, so now I'm back in that position, Neil. My PC can't play Doom. <laughs> I'm behind the trend again. Um, so yeah, once again, I own a system too outdated to make the most of the first-person shooter that basically became the benchmark um, for you know uh, PCs for a long time. Why do I now need an RTX card to play the original version of Doom? 
Well, because thanks to someone known as Sultim T, um, Doom, and um, we're talking about the original Doom, now has ray tracing. Nice. So Mark Central posted a link on the subreddit to a story by Sam. Oh, dear. Makovich? Makovich. Makovich. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for coming to the rescue <laughs> on that one. Uh, um, on ARS Technica uh, that details this fan-made community mod um and what it's like to play and where you can go and how you can install it so all the details are in that story ARS i had to go digging technica. do you know i always called it ars technica and thought that was a little bit odd but ars technica makes more sense you wouldn't call your company ars i wanted to say ars technica i must admit <laughs> <laughs> when i first looked at it i thought can i get away with calling it ars technica thank you neil you just did <laughs> so that's fine um, but yeah, I had to go digging to find the details of the developer because um, that is worth the kudos. And I found a mention of Sultim T on a story by James Archer on rockpapershotgun.com. So I think that's worth a mention and we'll put that link in the show notes as well. Um, but my reason for being cautious at this time of year is, of course, as we've <laughs> already discussed, April Fool's. The stories, all the stories that came out on this were written or published on April 1st, as were all the gameplay videos. So come on, they're asking for us to think it's a prank. So it's sort of a, a double blind, I think. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying this, I think it's real. In fact, I've seen so many YouTube videos now on it that it's definitely real. Yeah. And I think it looks stunning. Um, have you had a look? What do you reckon? Yeah, it really does look great. Um, it's a real nice clash of classic retro gaming and new technology layered over the top and it works well together um i did see something that a lot of people seem to be saying that is when you first play it it's got the bloom setting uh, and the default is like absolutely maxed out so everything's kind of yeah. glowing and you have to bring that down a little bit and then it looks a lot better with a bit of moderation so maybe they need to tweak that default but um yeah just just watching it um, on those various YouTube videos, I think my favorite part is probably the way the water works. I don't know if you've seen the water. Oh, um, yeah. So there are pools of water and there are also on some levels pools of blood. And mm. the water's got the lovely ripples across it. But then all the lights are reflected off the water. You know, this, this isn't just sort of textures slapped on. This is proper ray tracing. So you've got the sun out the window coming through the window landing on the water and just kind of shimmering across the water and all the lights and doom has never looked this good before it's it's quite amazing absolutely and um yeah, yeah doom is still very much um a fun game but the genre of course has been surpassed a, a lot by now you know it's 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 not where it started but it's where it was popularized because there were, yeah. was obviously wolfenstein and other games before it but um I guess the question is, are we playing this for the game or are we playing this for the tech demo now? Um, <laughs> perhaps it doesn't even matter. So long as so long as we're enjoying it, it doesn't really matter, but it has that tech demo feel to it. Yeah, no, I get that. And uh, yeah, you're 100% right. With all the videos I've seen, the bloom is just out of, you know, it's crazy. Um, and so it's good that you can dial that down. From what I understand, this is also just the first episode. Obviously, Doom is split up into episodes, so it's kind of like the shareware. Which, which actually takes me back because back in the day on my first PC, that's all I actually ever had. <laughs> so, And I think it's because I only had the shareware version that explains how I played Doom. Now, obviously, Doom can be played um, as a, a fast-paced shooter, which is really what it's intended to be. Um, but I always played it like a survival horror. So I would take my time, 
you hear the noises of the the marines you know grunting around the corners or the the um, imps on the other side of a door and that kind of thing and so i really sort of took in the darkness of doom and and sort of took my time to you know creep my way through each yeah, level i don't um, think there was any anything wrong with being a little bit stealthy and also you you to a degree you kind of had to herd the enemies around if there were too many you yes. had to kind of tease them into an area peek out take them out yeah i think i played it in a similar way to you i like that yeah nice and and uh, for me it was kind of it was kind of the aliens game we never got <laughs> so i sort of put it into that universe it sort of had that feel and i think that's why i loved and i know a lot of fans of doom one and two aren't necessarily particular fans of doom three but because of the way i played doom as a survival horror i loved doom three and what i loved about it so much were the shadows and it really reminded me of as a young child, just playing about with a torch or flashlight for those of you in America at night and, you know, with all the other lights off and you could really freak yourself out as a young kid just because of the way shadows moved, you know, the, the banisters on the side of the stairs and they'd, they'd superimpose a projection onto the wall behind them and then they'd move as you moved. And as a kid, that was fascinating and scary all at the same time. And Doom 3, when it first came out, put all of that in without ray tracing so the what excites me the most, you were excited about the water, Neil, and I love looking at effects like that as well. But for me, it was just seeing the, the, the shadow of the player, which obviously we've never seen before in the original Doom. But also, as you're going through the levels, seeing, you know, you might see the shadow of an imp before you even see the imp itself oh, because nice. of the lighting around the level. And that, to me, adds an extra level of suspense. Um, so, yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We did get a good uh, Alien versus Predator game. You were talking about Alien earlier mm. um, on the PC, but that was a long time after Doom. And that was quite not, it was it was quite a fast paced game, especially if you played as the alien, you could kind of crawl around on the ceiling quickly after yes. the, the Marine or the Predator. Um, that was a lot of fun. I actually fell off my chair once playing that game when a face hugger hit the screen. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much I got into that game. But um, nice. coming back to Doom, Doom 3, uh, Doom 3, can't remember if it was a Radeon 9600 or 9800 GPU I had at the time. It was a pretty beefy one. I think it might have been the 9800. Um, and Doom 3 was the game that really put that card to the test for me <clears throat> and really... Mm kind of showed me if um well showed me where my money had gone that i'd sunk into that gpu it was a really great tech demo for that and and doom has consistently been on the forefront of engine development um which does it a bit of a disservice because it's also been on the forefront of just good games in general it's not just about a tech demo and just being an engine but it has always been on the forefront of both and showing off your system's abilities and it's amazing really that that's been the case for so long and it continues to be even with the original doom now with ray tracing um what what a great um gift i guess the development of doom mm. and the developers behind it have given to the gaming industry over the years and continue to do so uh, it's quite an amazing thing really huge thanks to everyone involved in this really and especially the developer that's put this together um it's going to sound odd but it's actually the first thing that's made me think that i actually need an rtx card <laughs> It's Doom. It's the original Doom. But yep, this is the thing to possibly push me over the edge. But I don't have one. Um, can my modern PC play Doom? No. No, it can't. Maybe one day. Here's a story then that probably needs absolutely no introduction. It was submitted to our subreddit by Dave Velociraptor. And if you'd like to send any stories in for us to discuss, head over to reddit.com forward slash r 
forward slash this week in retro. And also you can get involved in our community question of the week over there. Now, the story that we're going to talk about now is uh, one that's created a huge buzz on social media. Of course, Monkey Island is back. Uh, the game that's coming is called Return to Monkey Island. Last week, we were talking about Ken and Roberta Williams's new game. Now it's all about Ron Gilbert's return. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Um, it's absolutely brilliant to be a retro gamer right now and indeed a modern gamer. So um, retro, uh, Return to Monkey Island, it appears to pick up where the story left off. I've got a couple of boxes here. So we had The Secret of Monkey Island. There we go. That's my uh, Amiga copy. Then we went to LeChuck's Revenge, Monkey Island 2. Also an awesome game. And I can feel, this is the Amiga version, there's a lot of discs in this box. Huge number of discs rattling around in there. Um, and then we had um, Curse of Monkey Island, Escape from Monkey Island, and I think Tales of Monkey Island. So we had uh, some other games. But where Ron Gilbert's picking up Return to Monkey Island is after LeChuck's Revenge. So he's coming straight in as if it was a third one. Um, oh. So that's his choice. That's where he's chosen to, to, to pick it up from. Um, the rights to Monkey Island, of course, they belong to Disney now because Disney bought LucasArts in 2012. So everything shifted over to them. And there was a lot of talk back then um, from Ron himself who... Uh, said that he was quite pessimistic about the series ever continuing after that happened. Um, of course, Disney had their own franchise with Pirates of the Caribbean, which was pretty hot back then. I think it started to die off a little bit now, even though they they probably continue to flog it. But, you know, it, would, it was at its peak. And um, he was of the opinion that they would probably want to go with a Pirates of the Caribbean style game if they were going to do anything piratey. And in time, Disney actually decided that they were going to stop making games and they decided it would be far easier and more profitable for them if they just allowed people to license the rights to the IP that they now owned, um, either traditional Disney IP or, or those that they had uh, acquired through the likes of LucasArts acquisitions. And somewhere along the line, a deal appears to have been struck. And the game, Return to Monkey Island, has been announced and it's been announced for um, release this year so they're obviously well into development of it uh they're confident that they've got something that they want to release and now the hype machine begins to wind up and they're starting to promote it um i think so far all there is out there is a short trailer have you seen it chris and have you got any first impressions from what you've seen yeah, I did have a look, and I'm glad you you, you put a caveat on that because I was thinking, is there anything else on this out there? Because <laughs> all I've seen is the uh, yeah the quirky little animation, the little teaser trailer. Um, it's a very nice art style from the look of it, um, and obviously it's a bit lost on me because oh, I'm not oh, playing any go. of the Monkey Islands. Here we go. But I, but I can I can t I'm sorry I'm sorry, but I can tell you know they're they're clearly going for the goosebumps for the pure fans. I think would probably come out in this. Um, as you really, as you know, I've never really point and clicked much, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, what I like about this news like this is it actually gives me a reason to try something I've missed. Um, so maybe you know whether it's I jump in with with the brand new one when it comes out, or if I use this as, as a as a reason to go and visit the originals, even if I don't play them through to completion, just visit them, get a feel of what it's all about, and then jump into this new one. That's certainly something I think about doing. Absolutely. 
Oh, Chris, Chris, Chris. Chris, you, you've got, <laughs> look, you've got next to you your A500 Mini. You've got your new little tank mouse. Now has never been a better time for you to point and click. Get that. Get They're that probably mini all preloaded on my A1200. <laughs> They're oh, probably better already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, fine. Or, fine. Is that my or, homework or, before next week? Or maybe week? find the talkie version. That's quite fun. Um, what I did for the weekend, be, off the back of this news, um, I just behind me, is the Amstrad Mega PC. Um, it's probably out. It's that beige monitor behind me. And to the right mm. of it is an original Roland MT32, which is plugged into Ooh. it. And I did a little MPU 401 um, MIDI upgrade on it. So um, I put Monkey Island on there and people absolutely loved it on Saturday when they came in and they could just fire up the intro screen and hear that iconic Monkey Island music the way it was meant to be heard on the MT32, you know, for the elite mm-hmm. money is no object gamer back in the day, <laughs> that's how they would have done it. And it just sounds amazing to hear that music echoing around. So um, your best bet might actually not be the Amiga Mini. It might be to fire up Scum VM because it's got oh, MT32 okay. emulation in there. So you can you can get the talky version and you can enjoy the MT32 music uh, and really get you know, the best Monkey Island experience. Even if you just use a walkthrough, Chris, I don't think anyone's going to regret you doing that. Just just do it to see the game. Um, just to get the storyline. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. there a book? I mean, uh, there probably is. <laughs> is there a movie? <laughs> <laughs> there was talk of a movie at one point, but it never, never quite happened. Um, who knows? Yeah. Maybe Return to Monkey Island will reinvigorate the franchise so much that we'll see, uh, yeah, Monkeys of the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, to be to be fair, let, let's just wind it back a bit because you say you never played it. Um, Monkey Island, I've played in more recent years all the way through, the, the first two at, at the very least, and absolutely loved it, which is why I'm raving about it to you now. But back in the day, I was more taken by uh, Day of the Tentacle and the two Indiana Jones point-and-click adventure games. I really loved the Indiana Jones ones. And it was only later that I grew to appreciate Monkey Island a little bit more. Um and it's only the first two games that I've played to completion. I, I don't know why I didn't really get on board. Uh, the art style changed a lot in the third one, but that's not a reason not to play it. I think sometimes with these game franchises, you just get a little bit fatigued. And mm. although I wasn't fatigued with Monkey Island because I hadn't played it a lot back then, I was probably getting a bit fatigued with the point and clicks. You know, they had yeah. they had their day. We moved started to move into the 3D era. LucasArts tried to move with it with games like Grim Fandango and introduced the 3D. But everyone was kind of getting on board with the FPS thing. And it was just a bit um, unfashionable for a little while. Mm. Um, and that's certainly not the case anymore. And and now really is the time. I think it's the perfect time for Monkey Island to make a comeback. So, um, yeah. And, and so for me, the fact that I only played the first two through, this is perfect. Ron has made the perfect choice to come in at number three for me while it's all still fresh in my mind. So thank you very much, Ron, for thinking of me when you made that choice. Um, there's very little detail. We've got that little trailer. Uh, we don't know a lot else. If you go to the website, it's just a, a picture of an island. Is it Melly Island? I think it might be. There's a boat at the front. There's some nice shimmering effects. There's nothing you can click on. It just says, come in soon. So um, make of it what you will. But I agree that the 2D art style is very nice. It's not a throwback to pixel art. It's not trying to be pixely. Um, mm, yeah. But it's got it's got enough of a throwback to the old games to get 
us oldies excited. It's got Murray the Skull in there, chatting away, bouncing about on the um, on the dock. But it's got really nice, slick, new 2D graphics that, um, uh, well, they're exciting. I think I think it suits the uh, suits the Monkey Island theme very well. So um, yeah, looking forward to it. So question for you, Chris. Then, yeah. um, please tell me you've please tell me you've played some other Lucas Arts games. If you had to pick another Lucas Arts game that would get a new sequel today, what would it be? I'm going to have to cheat on answering that one because it is a LucasArts game, but it's not a point-and-click adventure at all. No, that's fine. It would that's be fine. X-Wing. It oh, would be okay. X-Wing. That's a LucasArts game. Um, but in saying that, I think that's actually already been done. And it was done by, I think it was actually done by Disney. Um, but Squadrons. Of course, um, yeah. That that that. So, yeah. Uh, so I can't think of another one. I think that's the only one I ever had in my collection. <laughs> So you just want the X-Wing TIE Fighter franchise to keep going, give us yeah, more ones. Yeah. And, uh, Funnily enough, in- X- Squadrons is actually quite true to the original because I'm stuck on a mission. I haven't played it for ages because I'm stuck on a mission that I can't get past, so I lost interest. And that's exactly what I did with the original, so they've done a stunning job. <laughs> I remember you being really hyped about Squadrons. Did you Did you play it in VR or did you not? I'm not sure if it's a I did. I think yeah, it, I started did, yeah. off with playing it in VR, yeah. Uh, which is, uh, that that is amazing. I mean, there's a lot that... Uh, it's like anything modern Star Wars, you can never please the fans. So there's things I don't like about it, too much storyline and all of that kind of thing. But as soon as when you're playing it in VR and the first time you're actually sitting in an X-Wing cockpit, which it teases you because it forces you into the TIE Fighters at the start. Then when you're sitting in the X-Wing and you're looking around, you can see all your dolls. You can look behind you and see R2 sticking his head out the back uh, or an R2 unit. Um, and then you're flying past all these big rebel fleet ships and it's it's stunning it's a really and and i my my vr is only psvr as you know and even in that which is is you know that's pretty entry level in terms of vr it's it's amazing it's for a star wars fan yeah jaw dropping and that to me is the perfect use case of vr to be sat in a cockpit looking around um yeah which when you think back to last week we were talking about um ken and roberta williams new game which was going to be a what looks like a walking around adventure game or in the case of VR, a sliding around and making you feel travel sick adventure game. Um, it, it just, yeah, uh, I won't start slagging that game off again. <laughs> <laughs> I must reserve judgment until it comes out, but I just think VR yeah. was a bit of an odd choice for it. And uh, the X-Wing games and the TIE Fighter games, just absolutely perfect to be sat in that cockpit. I must try absolutely. it. I really must try it out. Um, if I had to pick a, a LucasArts um, adventure game to bring back or have a sequel to, I'd absolutely go with Grim Fandango. I know it was remastered in recent years, but I'd love I'd love for Manny Calavera to get another outing and get a, a proper sequel, um, or another Indiana Jones. You know, there's plenty of Indiana Jones stories out there to dive into. We've had fil- a lot of films, two films since then. Um, what did we have? Crystal Skull. Yeah, no, there was Crystal a game. Skull, they're making a fifth one. They're making a fifth one as well. Okay, because we had the game, we had Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine from LucasArts, mm. but that was really just a case of Indiana Jones trying to reclaim Indiana Jones back from Tomb Raider because <laughs> Tomb Raider came out oh. clearly a female Indiana Jones and they wanted to try and win that back. And actually they made um, an inferior game to Tomb Raider, mm. so they never really quite took that crown back in the uh, in the 3D space. But give me another Indiana Jones point-and-click adventure game. Um I wonder if the work being done on Return to Monkey Island might present an engine that others can use again to bring back some of those franchises. I'd love to see that. 
Um, here's hoping. <clears throat> so we're not asking for much really this week. We just want the return of beige computers and point-and-click adventure games or the perfect combination. Buy a beige computer and have a point-and-click adventure game bundled with it and away we go. It's the return of the uh, the multimedia PC. Multimedia <laughs> is making a comeback, Chris. and We're going to be the ones oh, to bring no. it. <laughs> oh, dear. I, w- I want to lag in the time it takes to load the audio from the CD as well. Oh, yeah. And I want I want the PC to sound like a jet engine when the CD spins up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, Neil, was it just me or when you've logged into Netflix recently, um, was it prompting you to choose or die on the screen where you select the current user? Choose or die? No. Uh, I mean, I yeah. used my Netflix daily and I, I did not see that on my screen. Uh, okay. Maybe it's because of my particular movie choices, but mine was, and I, okay. I actually didn't understand why. Um, I thought it might be them implementing the fact that you're not meant to log into somebody else's account from different houses, which perhaps <laughs> I'm doing. Um, but it wasn't anything to do with that. I now understand why it was doing that. Um, Paul, aka Hermsky, on the subreddit, uh, popped in a link to a trailer on YouTube for a new um, up-and-coming Netflix movie called Choose or Die. Uh, it's a revised title. It was originally going to be called Cursor, as in so C U R S, and then the um, greater than symbol, and then R. So if you think of like a, a DOS prompt, but they've put the R after it. My uh, old uh, movie, programming is... teacher, my old programming teacher used to call them the parrot's beaks. So parrot's beaks <laughs> instead of a greater than or less than, it was a right-sided parrot's beak. Oh, that makes far more sense. <laughs> So the, net, the the movie, which is a Netflix original, directed by a fairly unknown director, uh, for the most part, Toby Meekins. Um, and in fact, from my research, this is his first feature-length debut, so he's only done um, short stuff up until now. Uh, but regardless of that, the snippet that I watched of the trailer, and I didn't watch the full trailer, and I'll explain that in a moment, but it has me in eager anticipation. Um I better get on to how this fits into retro tech, actually, before people tune out. We're not just talking about Netflix and, and horror movies. So first of all, Paul, a.k.a. Hermsky, mentioned that there is a spectrum in view in the trailer. That's why I brought it to our attention. But more than that tenuous link, uh, retro gaming is actually integral to the storyline. So I know horror isn't for everyone, so I totally understand that, you know, that some listeners won't be into this. Um, and this doesn't look tame either. So I, I don't, you know... I don't recommend if you're not into horror that you go looking for the trailer just because we've said it has a retro link. Please don't do that if this isn't your thing. But if this is your thing, I think I think it looks good. So the storyline is basically some cash strap students. Isn't that always the intro? <laughs> um, they try to win some unclaimed prize money from retro computer games. So, that, you know, the premise being that if you haven't finished a retro computer game 30 years after it was published that maybe there's still some money to grab if you complete the game and you know do whatever you have to do to to claim that prize not sure how that would work but anyway they 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 try to they try to win this money but what ends up happening is their actions in the game end up affecting the reality around them as they play a text adventure game which is called cursor so i've only watched a few seconds of the trailer not because it's too scary for me or too gory. No, that's it's just my thing. When I watch horror, I like to know as little as possible. That's the best way. Everything has to be a surprise. And mm. often, sadly, uh, and especially with the horror genre, the trailer gives away all the best bits, all the good jump scares, 
it'll even if you pay enough attention it'll it'll show you who lives or dies by the end so i do just grab that few second teaser and from that i'll make a judgment yeah i think this is going to be my thing and this i really do think so um i, I really do think i'm going to enjoy it the full movie um dropped on the 15th of april but at the time of recording this well let's just say i'm still eagerly anticipating it but it's it's not long off now um so horror neil is is that something you're into would you watch this and if not mm. what movies with retro gaming as an integ integral component have you recently enjoyed oh that's a good question um yeah so you've obviously chosen to to choose to watch this movie because the alternative is to die chris and you're still with us so <laughs> <laughs> bit of a no-brainer really good point, good point. Um, uh, yeah i'm surprised mine hasn't come up with skate or die that's what mine should say but um, I'm a choose or die. Um, now, when it comes to horror movies, I am very squeamish, actually. It's a genre that I tend to endure rather than enjoy because I know full well that these movies play on my mind at the end of the day. When I go to bed in the dead of night, they'll rerun in my head and they'll they'll keep me awake. And obviously, that's not a problem for you. I mean, is it just a case that you have to expose yourself to more and more horror movies to desensitize yourself to these things? to get over the nightmares is is that what you've had to do chris is it like a fear of heights do you have to keep sort of forcing yourself until you become numb to it and then eventually a serial killer is that what happens short answer yes except for the last bit <laughs> i don't think you turn into a serial killer um i probably need to preface that so let, let's not go on to too much of a segue like we did with classic cars but the first movie that really gave me nightmares was Jaws, probably because my parents let me watch it when I was five years old. So that wasn't a good start. And then horror is not a genre that interests me at all until, do you remember the um, oh, scary movie franchise? So there were, there yes, were, there yeah. were ripoffs. There were comedy ripoffs. And I watched them. And obviously that kind of movie is funnier if you get the references. But because I wasn't a horror fan, I didn't get any of the jokes. So actually, it's humor that took me into my journey of appreciating horror because I, I wanted to watch the movies they were making jokes about. Anyway, talked about it far too long. But you're right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. The more you watch horror, the more desensitized you get. I don't particularly like what would be called slasher movies. Uh, I was talking to somebody at work about this the other day. Um, supernatural horror, in my mind, that sort of airy fairy, probably not going to happen in your house. So it's entertainment and that's what it is slasher movies i don't like because somebody could break into your house and start slashing up your family that's not something pleasant that's to watch as fun. entertainment i don't no. think yeah so so they're aligned still for me um but yeah so that's that's my life first supernatural horror which I, I get the feeling this comes under um but let's let's get off the horror let's get off the horror let's let's get on to i think um other games and uh, sorry other movies and and fairly recent well some aren't that recent but other other movies that have retro gaming as a theme throughout them or integral um ones that spring to mind are pixels and funny enough when pixels came out i mean it was it was a kids movie it was entertainment i hadn't begun my retro computing and gaming journey at that point you know still into gaming this, this but... would have been what 2015 pixels yeah about, about that yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but that's a fan. Now, if I watch it, there's so many fantastic references throughout that movie uh, in terms of yeah, the games. So Pixels is the one where uh, there's a VHS video, isn't there, of an old gaming competition that gets sent up into space 
and the aliens misinterpret that footage of video games as being an attack on their people and they all <laughs> yes. come and invade the earth I've forgotten that's like how it started actually. giant pac-man <laughs> yes. munching through the city yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and now i mean the deeper you get into the retro gaming community and the the legends around certain gamers maybe with certain donkey kong scores and then you look at the casting of the characters um and those that you know perhaps were winning through you know means other than playing fairly i, I there's some there's some interesting references that go, actually go quite deep into into the gaming culture which is very clever um ready player one that would be another one um a, a friend told me about that and I, I think i went into it expecting it to be a bit more gritty just through his um description of it probably because we had things like hunger games and maze runner and those kind of movies um, out at the time and so when he described it to me that's what i was expecting i wasn't yeah. expecting the sort of colorful bright vr game yeah if uh, you've thing. um if you read the book ready player one uh the movie is is like ready player one light the, the, but that's not right. really surprising because there's so much crammed into the book it would be impossible to get it all in i guess like most yeah. book adaptations they've got to pick and choose what they put in the movie and they made it pretty family friendly you're right and it wasn't unenjoyable you could sit and watch and look out for all the references and the easter eggs um hidden yeah. throughout the film um i i heard some gripes from the the hardcore book lovers who who really wanted to see more out of the movie but i thought it was fine for what it was um well worth a watch yeah yeah no i agree it's one that i had to watch a second time so first time disappointed second time okay this is this is good i can get into this as light entertainment and, and actually uh, th these are a bit of a weird one uh, uh to link into the story but the new jumanji movies jumanji one and two i actually love what they've done with those and um that the again the sort of concepts that they've pulled from gaming you know the the characters and the profiles of the characters the strengths and weaknesses um and how the actors have to you know get into that i think uh, the rock especially if you want to look at a movie that proves the rock is an actor um <laughs> rather than just a man with muscles this is the movie to do it you know because essentially he's a, he's a girl you know in a woman in 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 the rock's body <laughs> with the rocks in the second one i think it is that's how it plays out um, yeah fantastic do you think he's uh do you think he's gonna get an oscar for that performance chris are we gonna get that for oh absolutely well <laughs> <laughs> tell you will smith wouldn't give him a slap <laughs> no he would not would he? that's exactly where my mind was going and i thought how do we get out of this one <laughs> it's unavoidable now isn't it yeah so anyway but yeah so choose or die um it's 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 about the game influencing real life and i guess you know some of the films that we've just mentioned there are and bizarrely this makes me think about how back in the day i used to daydream about what it would be like if the raf were watching me play my flight sims on my amiga and that they could actually <laughs> recruit based on gamers performance that would just be amazing although of course i would never get recruited uh, being able to shoot things down is one thing but not being able to land is a bit of a problem um Fast forward, actually, into the early 2000s, and once the internet was established and you know, things like the Unreal Engine were out, you, of course, got the emergence of things like um, uh, the US military actually using games as a recruitment tool, not so much to spy on gamers, although maybe they were doing that as well if you're playing online, but mainly just to sort of entice them into what being in the military would be, be like. And the game I'm thinking of is America's Army, which they made free to download. And it was actually a really nice first-person shooter military sim. Uh, and, and to up your skill level, you had to go 
to the training rooms. You had to sit through a class. You had to take a test. Um, and then that would, that's how you actually got your special abilities, like being a medic so you could heal people in the field and, and that kind of thing. So that was, that was really cool. Um, so yeah, what do you think? You know, what if things like the DCS or War Thunder or even mainstream games like, you know, Call of Duty and Battlefield, what if the powers that be were actively watching and recruiting or, you know, maybe racing teams for racing simulators? What do you reckon? Well, yeah, uh, I'm glad the conversation's taken a turn from horror simulations because I'd hate to think someone was watching you for your, you know, your slasher skills in a horror game for the skills they need. But that could be a good movie plot, actually. Someone, you know, put a horror game out and then someone's watching the players to see who's the best serial killer <laughs> and then employ them. Oh, I don't know where we're going with that. Oh, that Is it Halloween, be... not Easter? <laughs> yeah, right. We need to we need to pitch that movie plot. Um, I think we do. I was also it also got me thinking while you're talking there. Uh, just going back to horror things, there was a thing on Channel Four in the '90s, and I can't remember the name of it. And um, it was when I guess the World Wide Web. A lot of people was were really getting on there, and it was really starting to go mainstream. Whether it's dial up or just getting onto broadband, and there was this TV series, and it was all about. I think it was based like around a chat room and there was a someone got groomed um to become a serial killer and kill someone i i can't i really can't remember the details of it but i remember that being quite a kind of watershed moment for seeing um computers and the internet and our hobby being incorporated into a horror movie for the first time that i'd seen that happen they were able to use these technologies as the mechanism to tell the story in a horror film and it was um it was quite an unsettling thing um it was in, mm. in all the newspapers and things like that so hopefully a listener can tell me remind me what that thing was called i can't remember now for the life of me no, I don't but think I um saw it. Mm. to your question th there are plenty of stories actually about sim racers getting trials or even getting a seat in a racing team because they're good at, oh, at yeah. video games whether that's gran turismo or any number of other racing games and um Usually those happen, though, I think, as a result of tournaments rather than mm. being secretly spied on. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I can imagine if it came to the Air Force, um, you're more likely to be poached for your AI programming skills than your ace combat piloting skills these days with the way things are going. But, uh, Chris, if it makes you feel more special to think that somebody's watching you when you're flying your virtual plane, you just keep telling yourself that the Top Gun Academy is watching <laughs> you in particular for your skills, Chris. They're watching you, and uh, you could get that call at any moment. <laughs> out, out of all the games in the world, I don't think they'd appreciate my strategy of instead of landing, just flying to home base and ejecting just complete the mission which upside I down was guilty of in a, in a few games <laughs> where the landing was really difficult it's like well i know i can complete this campaign by just ejecting over my home base as long as i don't get captured but anyway yeah, yeah. going back to choose or die briefly because it is horror and not everybody's into that uh, but it looks like the player has to make a choice in the text adventure game they're playing and that choice gets acted out uh, in some gruesome way by a person in the real world who loses control of their own actions basically possessed by the game um given the text adventure that i played the most was sphinx adventure on the acorn electron if anybody is out there walking around in a forest <laughs> completely lost and all all that ever happens to you is you find a bottle and you look at the bottle and you you are impressed on the inside of your mind the bottle is empty and then you drop the bottle and then you continue wandering round and round in aimlessly in the forest 
I'm sorry, that might be my fault. Um, <laughs> but anyway, thanks, Paul, for pointing Choose or Die out. I'd probably have dismissed this, actually, if somebody hadn't pointed it out. Um, and I'd just continue to binge watch Star Trek Next Gen with the wife, which is what we're currently doing. Now I'll have the pleasure of sitting alone in the dark, ready for the nightmare to begin. So, Chris, it's time to review last week's community question of the week in episode 71. And uh, we were talking about that Pong prototype that sold for more than the price of a Ferrari Testarossa. And Ooh, so the yes. question we put out there was, after the sale of the prototype of Pong, a landmark system for gaming, we wondered what systems prototype would you like to see added to a computer museum? As if anyone would be mad enough to set one of those up. Would it be something as pivotal as Pong or maybe something obscure? Do you own a prototype system that you would like to tell us about? Uh, leave all your answers. So we've got the top three answers here. Thank you to everyone who has um, contributed to the question of the week. Chris, would you like to go with the first answer? Yep, no worries. So this is by Happy Coding ZX, who says, I think for British computing, the famous prototype of the BBC Micro bodged together at the last minute, just before the BBC arrived, would have to be the one. I realise it wasn't quite as tight as portrayed in the classic Micromen, but nevertheless, it has entered the law and it would be fun to be able to relive that moment in a museum, thinking about how history could have been different if it hadn't worked. That's a really good answer. I like That's that a one. great answer. Yeah, yeah. To, to know it was that particular system. Um, I don't know whether they would have put serial number 001 on it or if it was, a, um, you know, in a wooden box like the Bong prototype. I don't know. I'm not sure I've ever seen a picture of that particular BBC micro prototype. But I do know the story well of how uh, they just managed to get it working, not quite at the last minute, minute but perhaps the night before, um, so that they could mm. show it off to the BBC and get it chosen as the computer for the computer literacy project, and and the rest is history. Um, the next answer mm. is from Paul, a.k.a. Hermsky. He says, The Giant ENIAC Machine by John W. Mochley and J. Presper Eckert, Electrical Numerical Integrator and Calculator is what uh, ENIAC stands for. Uh, moving from binary to multiple digits, used a word of 10 decimal digits and was the birth of calculators and computers. Um, I know there was back and forth over the years as to which was the first true digital computer, but I think ENIAC stakes a, um, a pretty strong claim for it, doesn't it? And uh, I'm not quite sure how large a room I would need to put that in. Um, yeah. Are you a fan you of big exhibition iron, space with uh, well, no, no, not so much. But I was just thinking, your exhibition space, you could invite people to come and see one computer. <laughs> it's not quite the same. Is I got to get the damn thing up the stairs, but um, <laughs> yeah. So I've just I've just looked it up here just to get some facts. Built in 1945, um, it was the first programmable electronic general purpose computer, um, apparently. Now. I'm sure there are stories of earlier digital computers that remained a secret for decades um, because um, they were developed during the war and they just didn't want to uh, to release them. But I'm not in a position to tell you which that was. You do the next answer. and I'm going to do a little bit of research here live <laughs> as you do that. Okay, so this is by Mark Pierre or Marky Pierre. After working at Sony Computer Entertainment Europe, I've had my hands on uh, many prototypes. Oh, nice. 
Um, however, I do own a developer team members only style jacket from the dev team. Okay, so jackets that only the dev team had that made the Sega Dreamcast uh, Project Katana, as it was called. Sizes large, unworn, with the original tags, etc. My wife constantly wants to throw it out while I claim it will one day fetch a pretty penny on eBay. So it's, it's not a prototype computer at all. It's just a developer jacket that only the only the developers could get their hands on. Look, when I read that earlier um, in preparation for, for recording today, what it made me actually made me think of is how much a Shadow of the Beast t-shirt goes for these days. Yeah. The original packing one, you just can't get hold of them. So he's probably right. It probably is collectible. So uh, through my extensive um, Google research in there, I've reminded myself that it was um, Colossus that I was thinking of, which is located, uh, at, I think it's uh, over at Bletchley. You can see it. Um, that was in 1943 by engineer Tommy Flowers, and that's listed as the first programmable digital computer. So um, I'm sure there are subtle differences between the way they operate and the, uh, the types of things that they can um, output which um, might make you choose one over the other, but it was Colossus that I was thinking of that that um, was the earlier one. So, discuss. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. So, um, the this week's community question of the week: If you could turn any, in fact, we'll do we'll do this in two parts. If first part, if you could turn any movie into a video game, what movie would you would you choose? Um, but to flip that on its head, and and you can you don't have to answer both. You could choose one or the other. If you could take any video game and turn that into a movie, if you could do it that way around, which one would it be? So yeah, just off the back of that, Neil, and actually swings back into the conversation about horror. Sorry about that. But um, there's a movie called Overlord, and um, one of my sons bought it for me one Christmas because he'd read that it's essentially Wolfenstein without officially being a Wolfenstein oh. movie. So okay. so that's quite interesting. So yeah, that, that's that's one that's well worth a, a look at. If you go into it acknowledging that it's not truly a Wolfenstein movie, but there are links it could so easily be a Wolfenstein movie. Is it just a, a man nice walking watch. down lots of corridors? And <laughs> yes, it's just, <laughs> just one hour, 30 minutes of a, of a first-person camera walking around some corridors and some doors opening and closing. No, it's not. It's a well, sort of Second I, World War movie that slides into this weird, unexpected yeah, segue. Well, yeah, I already know my answer. I'd like the movie of Eddie the Eagle to be turned into a video game. It'll just be the, the ski jump section of Winter Games, which is... <laughs> the only mini game that I ever really liked playing in winter games. So if we can just take that and theme it as an Eddie the Eagle game, I'll be happy. Excellent. We could get some really stupid answers on this. I like it. <laughs> good, good. Well, as always, thank you very much to everyone who listens on the podcast, to everyone who watches us on YouTube. Please take the time, if you haven't already, to subscribe, to like, and to come back for more in future. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil Thomas from RMC Cave and Chris Winter from 005 Agima. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. 
If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.